Section twenty three of A Far Country by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book three, chapter twenty. I find in relating those parts of my experience that seem to be of most significance I have neglected to tell of my mother's death, which occurred the year before we moved to Grant Avenue she had clung the rest of her days to the house in which i had been born of late years she had lived in my children and maud's devotion to her had been unflagging truth compels me to say that she had long ceased to be a factor in my life i have thought of her in later years coincident with the unexpected feeling of fruitlessness that came to me with the grant avenue house of things achieved but not realized or appreciated was the appearance of a cloud on the business horizon or rather on the political horizon since it is hard to separate the two realms there were signs for those who could read of a rising popular storm during the earliest years of the new century the political atmosphere had changed the public had shown a tendency to grow restless and everybody knows how important it is for financial operations for prosperity that the people should mind their own business in short our commercial romantic pilgrimage began to meet with unexpected resistance it was as though the nation were entering into a senseless conspiracy to kill prosperity in the first place in regard to the presidency of the united states a cog had unwittingly been slipped it had always been recognized as i have said by responsible financial personages that the impulses of the majority of americans could not be trusted that these who had inherited illusions of freedom must be governed firmly yet with delicacy unknown to them their presidents must be chosen for them precisely as mr watling had been chosen for the people of our state and the popular enthusiasm manufactured later there were informal meetings in new york in washington where candidates were discussed not that such and such a man was settled upon it was a process of elimination usually the affair had gone smoothly for instance a while before a benevolent capitalist of the middle west an intimate of adolf scherer had become obsessed with the idea that a friend of his was the safest and sanest man for the head of the nation had convinced his fellow capitalists of this whereupon he had gone ahead to spend his energy and his money freely to secure the nomination and election of this gentleman the republican national committee the republican national convention were allowed to squabble to their hearts content as to whether smith jones or brown should be nominated but it was clearly understood that if robinson or white were chosen there would be no corporation campaign funds this applied also to the democratic party on the rare occasions when it seemed to have an opportunity of winning now however 
through an unpardonable blunder there had got into the white house a president who was inclined to ignore advice who appealed over the heads of the advisers to the populace who went about tilting at the industrial structures we had so painfully wrought and in frequent blasts of presidential messages enunciated new and heretical doctrines who attacked the railroads encouraged the brazen treason of labor unions inspired an army of muckrakers to fill the magazines with the wildest and most violent of language state legislatures were emboldened to pass mischievous and restrictive laws and much of my time began to be occupied in inducing by various means our courts to declare these unconstitutional how we sighed for a business man or a lawyer in the white house the country had gone mad the stock market trembled the cry of corporation control resounded everywhere and everywhere demagogues arose to inaugurate reform campaigns in an abortive attempt to clean up politics down with the bosses who were the tools of the corporations in our own city which we fondly believe to be proof against the prevailing madness a slight epidemic occurred slight yet momentarily alarming accidents will happen even in the best regulated political organizations and accidents in these days appeared to be the rule a certain mr edgar greenhalge a middle-aged mild-mannered and inoffensive man who had made a moderate fortune in wholesale drugs was elected to the school board later on some of us had reason to suspect that perry blackwood with more astuteness than he had been given credit for was responsible for mr greenhalge's candidacy at any rate he was not a man to oppose and in his previous life had given no hint that he might become a troublemaker nothing happened for several months but one day on which i had occasion to interview mr jason on a little matter of handing over to the railroad a piece of land belonging to the city which was known as billings bowl he inferred that mr greenhalge might prove a disturber of that profound peace with which the city administration had for many years been blessed who the hell is he was mr jason's question it appeared that mr g s private life had been investigated with disappointingly barren results he was seemingly an anomalistic being in our nietzschean age an unaggressive man he had never sold any drugs to the city he was not a church member nor could it be learned that he had ever wandered into those byways of the town where mr jason might easily have got trace of him if he had any vices he kept them locked up in a safe-deposit box that could not be located he was very genial and had a way of conveying disturbing facts when he wished to convey them under cover of the most amusing stories mr jason was not a man to get panicky greenhalge could be handled all right only 
what was there in it for greenhalge a nut difficult for mr jason to crack the two other members of the school board were solid here again the wisest of men was proved to err for mr greenhalge turned out to have powers of persuasion he made what in religious terms would have been called a conversion in the case of another member of the board and hitherto staunch old reprobate by the name of muller an ex-saloon keeper in comfortable circumstances to whom the idea of public office had appealed mr greenhalge having got wind of certain transactions that interested him extremely brought them in his good-natured way to the knowledge of mr gregory the district attorney suggesting that he investigate mr gregory smiled undertook as delicately as possible to convey to mr greenhalge the ways of the world and of the political world in particular wherein it seemed every one was a good fellow mr greenhalge was evidently a good fellow and didn't want to make trouble over little things no mr greenhalge didn't want to make trouble he appreciated a comfortable life as much as mr gregory he told the district attorney a funny story which might or might not have had an application to the affair and took his leave with the remark that he had been happy to make mr gregory's acquaintance on his departure the district attorney's countenance changed he severely rebuked a subordinate for some trivial mistake and walked as rapidly as he could carry his considerable weight to monahan's saloon one of the things mr gregory had pointed out incidentally was that mr greenhalge's evidence was vague and that a grand jury wanted facts which might be difficult to obtain mr greenhalge thinking over the suggestion sent for krebs in the course of a month or two the investigation was accomplished greenhalge went back to gregory who repeated his homilies whereupon he was handed a hundred or so typewritten pages of evidence it was a dramatic moment mr gregory resorted to pleading he was sure that mr greenhalge didn't want to be disagreeable it was true and unfortunate that such things were so but they would be amended he promised all his influence to amend them the public conscience said mr gregory was being aroused now how much better for the party for the reputation the fair name of the city if these things could be corrected quietly and nobody indicted or tried between sensible and humane men wasn't that the obvious way after the election suit could be brought to recover the money but mr greenhalge appeared to be one of those hopeless individuals without a spark of party loyalty he merely continued to smile and to suggest that the district attorney prosecute mr gregory temporized and presently left the city on a vacation a day or two after his second visit to the district attorney's office mr greenhalge had a call from the city auditor and the purchasing agent who talked about their families which was very painful 
it was also intimated to mr greenhalge by others who accosted him that he was just the man for mayor he smiled and modestly belittled his qualifications suddenly one fine morning a part of the evidence krebs had gathered appeared in the columns of the mail and state a new and enterprising newspaper for which the growth and prosperity of our city were responsible the sort of revelations that stirred to amazement and wrath innocent citizens of nearly every city in our country politics and graft infesting our entire educational system teachers and janitors levied upon prices that took the breath away paid to favored firms for supplies specifications so worded that reasonable bids were barred the respectable firm of ellery and knowles was involved in spite of our horror we were americans and saw the humour of the situation and laughed at the caricature in the mail and state representing a scholar holding up a pencil and a legend under it no it's not gold but it ought to be here i must enter into a little secret history any affair that threatened the integrity of mr jason's organization was of serious moment to the gentlemen of the financial world who found that organization invaluable and who were also concerned about the fair name of their community a conference in the boyne club decided that the city officials were being persecuted and entitled therefore to the very best of counsel in this instance mr hugh parrott it was also thought wise by mr dickinson mr gorse and mr grierson and by mr parrott himself that he should not appear in the matter an aspiring young attorney mr arbuthnot was retained to conduct the case in public thus capital came to the assistance of mr jason a fund was raised and i was given carte blanche to defend the miserable city auditor and purchasing agent both of whom elicited my sympathy for they were stout men and rapidly losing weight our first care was to create a delay in the trial of the case in order to give the public excitement a chance to die down for the public is proverbially unable to fix its attention for long on one object continually demanding the distraction that our newspapers make it their business to supply fortunately a murder was committed in one of our suburbs creating a mystery that filled the extras for some weeks and this was opportunely followed by the embezzlement of a considerable sum by the cashier of one of our state banks public interest was divided between baseball and the tracking of this criminal to new zealand our resentment was directed not so much against commissioner greenhalge as against krebs it is curious how keen is the instinct of men like grierson dickinson talent and scherer for the really dangerous opponent who the deuce was this man krebs well i could supply them with some information they doubtless recalled the galligan case and miller gorse who forgot nothing 
also remembered his opposition in the legislature to house bill 709 he had continued to be the obscure legal champion of oppressed labor but how he had managed to keep body and soul together i knew not i had encountered him occasionally in court corridors or on the street he did not seem to change much nor did he appear in our brief and perfunctory conversations to bear any resentment against me for the part i had taken in the galligan affair i avoided him when it was possible i had to admit that he had done a remarkably good piece of work in collecting greenhalge's evidence and how the erring city officials were to be rescued became a matter of serious concern gregory the district attorney was in an abject funk in any case a mediocre lawyer after the indictment he was no help at all i had to do all the work and after we had selected the particular railroad judge before whom the case was to be tried i talked it over with him his name was nodding he understood perfectly what was required of him and that he was for the moment the chief bulwark on which depended the logical interests of capital and sane government for their defence also his re-election was at stake it was indicated to newspapers such as the mail and state showing a desire to keep up public interest in the affair that their advertising matter might decrease mr sherrill's great department store for instance did not approve of this sort of agitation certain stationers booksellers and other business men had got cold feet as mr jason put it the prospect of bankruptcy suddenly looming ahead of them since the corn national bank held certain paper in short when the case did come to trial it blew up as one of our ward leaders dynamically expressed it several important witnesses were mysteriously lacking and two or three school teachers had suddenly decided to take a trip to europe the district attorney was ill and assigned the prosecution to a mild assistant while a sceptical jury composed largely of gentlemen who had the business interests of the community and of themselves at heart returned a verdict of not guilty this was the signal for severely dignified editorials in mr tallant's and other conservative newspapers hinting that it might be well in the future for all well-meaning but misguided reformers to think twice before subjecting the city to the cost of such trials and uselessly attempting to inflame public opinion and upset legitimate business the era expressed the opinion that no city in the united states was more efficiently and economically governed than our own irregularities might well occur in every large organization and it would better have become mr greenhalge if instead of hiring an unknown lawyer thirsting for notoriety to cook up charges he had called the attention of the proper officials to the matter etc etc the pilot alone which relied on sensation for its circulation kept hammering away for a time with veiled accusations but our citizens had become weary as a topic however this effective suppression of reform was referred to with some delicacy by my friends and myself 
our interference had been necessary and therefore justified but we were not particularly proud of it and our triumph had a temporarily sobering effect it was about this time if i remember correctly that mr dickinson gave the beautiful stained-glass window to the church months passed one day having occasion to go over to the boyne ironworks to get information at first hand from certain officials and having finished my business i boarded a south side electric car standing at the terminal just before it started krebs came down the aisle of the car and took the seat in front of me well i said how are you he turned in surprise and thrust his big bony hand across the back of the seat come and sit here he came do you ever get back to cambridge in these days i asked cordially not since i graduated from newspaper work in boston that's a good many years ago by the way our old landlady died this year do you mean granite face i was about to say i had forgotten her name but that homesick scene when tom and i stood before our open trunks when krebs had paid us a visit came back to me you've kept in touch with her i asked in surprise well said krebs she was one of the few friends i had at cambridge i had a letter from the daughter last week she's done very well and is an instructor in biology in one of the western universities i was silent a moment and you you never married did you i inquired somewhat irrelevantly his semi-humorous gesture seemed to deny that such a luxury was for him the conversation dragged a little i began to feel the curiosity he invariably inspired what was his life what were his beliefs and i was possessed by a certain militancy a desire to smoke him out i did not stop to reflect that mine was in reality a defensive rather than an aggressive attitude do you live down here in this part of the city i asked no he boarded in fowler street i knew it as in a district given over to the small houses of working men i suppose you are still a socialist i suppose i am he admitted and added at any rate that is as near as you can get to it isn't it fairly definite fairly if my notions are taken in general as the antithesis of what you fellows believe the abolition of property for instance the abolition of too much property what do you mean by too much when it ceases to be real to a man when it represents more than his need when it drives him and he becomes a slave to it involuntarily i thought of my new house not a soothing reflection but who is going to decree how much property a man should have nobody everybody that will gradually tend to work itself out as we become more sensible and better educated and understand more clearly what is good for us i retorted with the stock common-sense phrase if we had a division to-morrow within a few years or so the most efficient would contrive to get the bulk of it back in their hands 
that's so he admitted but we're not going to have a division tomorrow thank god i exclaimed he regarded me the efficient will have to die or be educated first that will take time educated parrot have you ever read any serious books on what you call socialism he asked i threw out an impatient negative i was going on to protest that i was not ignorant of the doctrine oh what you call socialism is merely what you believe to be more or less crude and utopian propaganda of an obscure political party that isn't socialism nor is the anomalistic attempt that the christian socialists make to unite modern socialistic philosophy with christian orthodoxy socialism what is socialism then i demanded somewhat defiantly let's call it education science he said smilingly economics and government based on human needs and a rational view of religion it has been taught in german universities and it will be taught in ours whenever we shall succeed in inducing your friends by one means or another not to continue endowing them socialism in the proper sense is merely the application of modern science to government i was puzzled and angry what he said made sense somehow but it sounded to me like so much gibberish but germany is a monarchy i objected it is a modern scientific system with monarchy as its superstructure it is anomalous but frank the monarchy is there for all men to see and some day it will be done away with we are supposedly a democracy and our superstructure is plutocratic our people feel the burden but they have not yet discovered what the burden is and when they do i asked a little defiantly when they do replied krebs they will set about making the plutocrats happy now plutocrats are discontented and never satisfied the more they get the more they want the more they are troubled by what other people have i smiled in spite of myself your interest in in plutocrats is charitable then why yes he said my interest in all kinds of people is charitable however improbable it may seem i have no reason to dislike or envy people who have more than they know what to do with and the worst of it was he looked it he managed somehow simply by sitting there with his strange eyes fixed upon me in spite of his ridiculous philosophy to belittle my ambitions to make of small worth my achievements to bring home to me the fact that in spite of these i was neither contented nor happy though he kept his humour and his poise he implied an experience that was far deeper more tragic and more significant than mine i was goaded into making an injudicious remark well your campaign against ennerly and jackson fell through didn't it ennerly and jackson were the city officials who had been tried it wasn't a campaign against them he answered and considering the subordinate part i took in it it could scarcely be called mine 
Greenhalgh turned to you to get the evidence. Well, I got it, he said. What became of it? You ought to know. What do you mean? Just what I say, Parrot, he answered slowly. You ought to know. If anyone knows. I considered this a moment more soberly. I thought I might have counted on my fingers the number of men cognizant of my connection with the case. I decided that he was guessing. I think you should explain that, I told him. The time may come when you'll have to explain it. Is that a threat? I demanded. A threat? he repeated. Not at all but you are accusing me of what he interrupted suddenly he had made it necessary for me to define the nature of his charges of having some connection with the affair in question whatever else i may be i'm not a fool he said quietly neither the district attorney's office nor young arbuthnot had brains enough to get them out of that scrape Jason didn't have influence enough with the judiciary, and as I happen to know, there was a good deal of money spent. You may be called upon to prove it, I retorted rather hotly. So I may. His tone, far from being defiant, had in it a note of sadness. I looked at him what were his potentialities was it not just possible that i should have to revise my idea of him acknowledge that he might become more formidable than i had thought there was an awkward silence you mustn't imagine parrot that i have any personal animus against you or against any of the men with whom you're associated he went on after a moment i'm sorry you're on that side that's all i told you so once before i'm not calling you names not talking about morality and immorality immorality when you come down to it is often just the opposition to progress that comes from blindness i don't make the mistake of blaming a few individuals for the evils of modern industrial society and on the other hand you mustn't blame individuals for the discomforts of what you call the reform movement for that movement is merely a symptom a symptom of a disease due to a change in the structure of society we'll never have any happiness or real prosperity until we cure that disease i was inclined to blame you once at the capital that time because it seemed to me that a man with all the advantages you have had and a mind like yours didn't have much excuse but i've thought about it since I realize now that I've had a good many more advantages than you, and to tell you the truth, I don't see how you could have come out anywhere else than where you are. All your surroundings and training were against it. That doesn't mean that you won't grasp the situation some day. I have an idea you will. It's just an idea. The man who ought to be condemned isn't the man that doesn't understand what's going on, but the man who comes to understand and persists in opposing it he rose and looked down at me with the queer disturbing smile i remembered i get off at this corner he added rather diffidently i hope you'll forgive me for being personal i didn't mean to be but you rather forced it on me oh that's all right i replied 
car stopped and he hurried off i watched his tall figure as it disappeared among the crowd on the sidewalk i returned to my office in one of those moods that are the more disagreeable because conflicting to-day in particular i had been aroused by what tom used to call krebs crust and as i sat at my desk warm waves of resentment went through me at the very notion of his telling me that my view was limited and that therefore my professional conduct was to be forgiven it was he the fanatic who saw things in the larger scale an assumption the more exasperating because at the moment he made it he almost convinced me that he did and i was unable to achieve for him the measure of contempt i desired for the incident the measure of ridicule it deserved my real animus was due to the fact that he had managed to shake my self-confidence to take the flavour out of my achievements a flavour that was in the course of an hour to be completely restored by one of those interesting coincidences occasionally occurring in life a young member of my staff entered with a telegram i tore it open and sat staring at it a moment before i realized that it brought me the greatest honor of my career the banker personality in new york had summoned me for consultation to be recognized by him conferred indeed an ennoblement the star and garter so to speak of the only great realm in america that of high finance and the yellow piece of paper i held in my hand instantly remagnetized me renewed my energy and i hurried home to pack my bag in order to catch the seven o'clock train i announced the news to maude i imagine it's because he knows i have made something of a study of the coal roads situation i added i'm glad hugh she said i suppose it's a great compliment never had her inadequacy to appreciate my career been more apparent i looked at her curiously to realize once more with peculiar sharpness how far we were apart but now the resolutions i had made and never carried out on that first christmas in the new home were lacking indeed it was the futility of such resolutions that struck me at this moment if her manner had been merely one of indifference it would in a way have been easier to bear she was simply incapable of grasping the significance of the event the meaning to me of the years of unceasing ambitious effort it crowned yes it is something of a recognition i replied is there anything i can get for you in new york i don't know how long i shall have to stay i'll telegraph you when i'm getting back i kissed her and hurried out to the automobile as i drove off i saw her still standing in the doorway looking after me in the station i had a few minutes to telephone nancy if you don't see me for a few days it's because i've gone to new york i informed her something important i'm sure how did you guess i demanded and heard her laugh come back soon and tell me about it 
she said and i walked exhilarated to the train as i sped through the night staring out of the window and into the darkness i reflected on the man i was going to see but at that time although he represented to me the quintessence of achievement and power i did not by any means grasp the many-sided significance of the phenomenon he presented though i was keenly aware of his influence and that men spoke of him with bated breath presidents came and went kings and emperors had responsibilities and were subject daily to annoyances but this man was a law unto himself he did exactly what he chose and compelled other men to do it wherever commerce reigned and where did it not he was king and head of its holy empire pope and emperor at once for he had his code of ethics his religion and those who rebelled who failed to conform he excommunicated a code something like the map of europe apparently inconsistent in places what i did not then comprehend was that he was the american principle personified the supreme individual assertion of the conviction that government should remain modestly in the background while the efficient acquired the supremacy that was theirs by natural right nor had i grasped at that time the crowning achievement of a unity that fused christianity with those acquisitive dispositions said to be inherent in humanity in him the lion and the lamb the eagle and the dove dwelt together in amity and power new york always a congenial place to gentlemen of vitality and means and influential connections had never appeared to me more sparkling more inspiring winter had relented spring had not as yet begun and as i sat in a corner of the dining-room of my hotel looking out on the sunlit avenue i was conscious of partaking of the vigour and confidence of the well-dressed clear-eyed people who walked or drove past my window with the air of a conquering race what else was there in the world more worth having than this conquering sense religion might offer charms to the weak yet here religion itself became sensible and wore the garb of prosperity the stonework of the tall church on the corner was all lace and the very saints in their niches who had known martyrdom and poverty seemed to have renounced these as foolish and to look down complacently on the procession of wealth and power across the street behind a sheet of glass was a carrosserie where were displayed the shining yellow and black panels of a closed automobile the cost of which would have built a farmhouse and stocked a barn at eleven o'clock the appointed hour i was in wall street sending in my name i was speedily ushered into a room containing a table around which were several men but my eyes were drawn at once to the figure of the great banker who sat massive and preponderant at one end smoking a cigar and listening in silence to the conversation i had interrupted he rose courteously and gave me his hand and a glance that is unforgettable it is good of you to come mr parrot he said simply as though his summons had not been a command 
perhaps you know some of these gentlemen one of them was our united states senator theodore watling he as it turned out had been summoned from washington of course i saw him frequently having from time to time to go to washington on various errands connected with legislation though spruce and debonair as ever in the black morning coat he invariably wore he appeared older than he had on the day when i had entered his office he greeted me warmly as always hugh i'm glad to see you here he said with a slight emphasis on the last word my legal career was reaching its logical climax the climax he had foreseen and he added to the banker that he had brought me up then he was trained in a good school remarked that personage affably mr barber the president of our railroad was present and nodded to me kindly also a president of a smaller road in addition there were two new york attorneys of great prominence whom i had met the banker's own special lieutenant of the law mr clement d grolier for whom i looked was absent but it was forthwith explained that he was offering that morning a resolution of some importance in the convention of his church but that he would be present after lunch i have asked you to come here mr parrott said the banker not only because i know something personally of your legal ability but because i have been told by mr scherer and mr barber that you happen to have considerable knowledge of the situation we are discussing as well as some experience with cases involving that statute somewhat hasty to lay minds the sherman antitrust law a smile went around the table mr watling winked at me i nodded but said nothing the banker was not a man to listen to superfluous words the keynote of his character was dispatch the subject of the conference like many questions bitterly debated and fought over in their time has in the year i write these words come to be of merely academic interest indeed the very situation we discussed that day has been cited in some of our modern textbooks as a classic consequence of that archaic school of economics to which the name of manchester is attached some half-dozen or so of the railroads running through the anthracite coal region had pooled their interests an extremely profitable proceeding the public paid we deemed it quite logical that the public should pay having been created largely for that purpose and very naturally we resented the fact that the meddling person who had got into the white house without asking anybody's leave who apparently did not believe in the infallibility of our legal bible the constitution should maintain that the anthracite roads had formed a combination in restraint of trade should lay down the preposterous doctrine so subversive of the rights of man that railroads should not own coal mines congress had passed a law to meet this contention suit had been brought and in the lower court the government had won as the day wore on our members increased we were joined by other lawyers of renown not the least of whom was mr grolier himself fresh from his triumph over religious heresy in his church convention 
the note of the conference became tinged with exasperation and certain gentlemen seized the opportunity to relieve their pent-up feelings on the subject of the president and his slavish advisers some of whom before they came under the spell of his sorcery had once been sound lawyers and sensible men with the exception of the great banker himself who made few comments theodore watling was accorded the most deference as one of the leaders of that indomitable group of senators who had dared to stand up against popular clamour his opinions were of great value and his tactical advice was listened to with respect i felt more pride than ever in my former chief who had lost none of his charm while in no way minimizing the seriousness of the situation his wisdom was tempered as always with humour he managed as it were to neutralize the acid injected into the atmosphere by other gentlemen present he alone seemed to bear no animus against the author of our troubles suave and calm good-natured he sometimes brought the company into roars of laughter and even succeeded in bringing occasional smiles to the face of the man who had summoned us when relating some characteristic story of the queer genius whom the fates undoubtedly as a practical joke had made the chief magistrate of the united states of america all geniuses have weaknesses mr watling had made a study of the president's and more than once had lured him into an impasse the case had been appealed to the supreme court and mr watling with remarkable conciseness and penetration reviewed the characteristics of each and every member of that tribunal all of whom he knew intimately they were of course not subject to advice as were some of the gentlemen who sat on our state courts no sane and self-respecting american would presume to approach them nevertheless they were human and it were wise to take account in the conduct of the case of the probable bias of each individual the president overstepping his constitutional newtonian limits might propose laws congress might acquiesce in them but the supreme court after listening to lawyers like grolier and he bowed to the attorney made them made them he might have added without responsibility to any man in our unique republic that scorned kings and apotheosized lawyers a martian with a sense of humour witnessing a stormy session of congress would have giggled at the thought of a few tranquil gentlemen in another room of the capital waiting to decide what the people's representatives meant or whether they meant anything for the first time since i had known theodore watling however i saw him in the shadow of another individual a man who like a powerful magnet continually drew our glances when we spoke we almost invariably addressed him his rare words fell like bolts upon the consciousness there was no apparent rift in that personality when about five o'clock the conference was ended and we were dismissed united states senator railroad presidents field marshals of the law the great banker fell into an eager conversation with grolier over the canon on divorce the subject of warm debate in the convention that day 
grawyer it appeared had led his party against the theological liberals he believed that law was static but none knew better its plasticity that it was infallible but none so well as he could find a text on either side his reputation was not of the popular newspaper sort but was known to connoisseurs editors financiers statesmen and judges to those in short whose business it is to make themselves familiar with the instruments of power he was the banker's chief legal adviser the banker's rapier of tempered steel sheathed from the vulgar view save when it flashed forth on a swift errand i'm glad to be associated with you in this case mr parrott mr grawyer said modestly as we emerged into the maelstrom of wall street if you can make it convenient to call at my office in the morning we'll go over it a little and i'll see you in a day or two in washington watling keep your eye on the bull he added with a twinkle and don't let him break any more china than you can help i don't know where we'd be if it weren't for you fellows by you fellows he meant mr watling's distinguished associates in the senate mr watling and i dined together at a new york club it was not a dinner of herbs there was something exceedingly comfortable about that club where the art of catering to those who had earned the right to be catered to came as near perfection as human things attain from the great heavily curtained dining-room the noises of the city had been carefully excluded the dust of the avenue the squalor and smells of the brownstone fronts and laddered tenements of those gloomy districts lying a pistol-shot east and west we had a vintage champagne and afterwards a cigar of the club's special importation well said mr watling now that you're a member of the royal council what do you think of the king i've been thinking a great deal about him i said and indeed it was true he had made perhaps his greatest impression when i had shaken his hand in parting the manner in which he had looked at me then had puzzled me it was as though he were seeking to divine something in me that had escaped him why doesn't the government take him over i exclaimed mr watling smiled you mean instead of his mines and railroads and other properties yes but that's your idea don't you remember you said something of the kind the night of the election years ago it occurred to me to-day when i was looking at him yes he agreed thoughtfully if some american genius could find a way to legalize that power and utilize the men who created it the worst of our problems would be solved a man with his ability has a right to power and none would respond more quickly or more splendidly to a call of the government than he all this fight is waste hugh damned waste of the nation's energy mr watling seldom swore look at the president there's a man of remarkable ability too and those two oughtn't to be fighting each other the president's right in a way yes he is though i've got to oppose him i smiled at this from theodore watling though i admired him the more for it and suddenly oddly 
i happened to remember what krebs had said that our troubles were not due to individuals but to a disease that had developed in industrial society if the day should come when such men as the president and the great banker would be working together was it not possible too that the idea of mr watling and the vision of krebs might coincide i was struck by a certain seeming similarity in their views but mr watling interrupted this train of thought by continuing to express his own well they're running right into a gale when they might be sailing with it he said you think we'll have more trouble i asked more and more he replied it'll be worse before it's better i'm afraid at this moment a club servant announced his cab and he rose well good-bye my son he said i'll hope to see you in washington soon and remember there's no one thinks any more of you than i do i escorted him to the door and it was with a real pang i saw him wave to me from his cab as he drove away my affection for him was never more alive than in this hour when for the first time in my experience he had given real evidence of an inner anxiety and lack of confidence in the future end of section twenty three